sometimes I wonder in life, I wonder in kind of the, the grand scheme of everything, I ask myself the question of like, why does the world sometimes seem so hopeless or feel so hopeless? Like, what is it that like drains us of hope? And I walk around and I, I honestly feel this way sometimes. I'll be like in the grocery store or something. And all of a sudden, like, I just look around and I'm just like, it's like people are walking around, like almost in this weird, like horror film of like, you know, you know, like when they make cartoons and they'll make it like black and white and it looks like everybody is drained and they're just like zombied, almost walking around. And it's like all of the goodness has been stripped away. And I, I walk around and I see that. And, I, and you know, there's days where I feel that way too. There's days where I'm battling, you know, my own demons. I'm battling, you know, the hardships of life. But it's harder for me to see those things in them myself, especially when I'm going through it, right? Like I might be able to look back at a season and be like, man, that was me. But when you're going through it, you don't necessarily see it. And I don't think that the people that are going through that a lot of times when I'm walking through the store or, you know, going to an event, like, I don't think they see it. Today, I kind of want to touch on the fact of like, do you see it in your own life? Do you see sometimes where your hope is at? Like, where's the level at? Because I do think that hope isn't like this thing you either have or you don't have. I think it wanes. And we're going to talk a little bit about that when we talk about the, the character of Peter today, that it can look kind of like on the spectrum. And as you're thinking about your life when it comes to hope, I want you to kind of try to gauge where you feel like you're at. And I kind of want to double down on that today and take a look at maybe that might be an issue that possibly, maybe, just maybe, there's more hope for you somewhere. That maybe your hope needs to be revived. That maybe your hope needs to be resurrected. And so as we talk about the resurrection of Jesus today, and we talk about, um, you know, the perspective of what that looked like from the apostles' eyes or the women, the women that, that ran to the tomb, or even, you know, the disciples walking on the road to a place called Emmaus, I want you to keep that in the back of your mind, that spectrum of hope and that idea. Today, I'm hoping to answer the question of, this is why I feel so hopeless. And to be able to give you an answer to that heart-gripping question. You may have been searching your whole life for hope. And what happens if I told you today that you can have it? That you can have the hope that you see in maybe your friend that asked you to come today? or you can have hope on this journey of chasing after, trying to find the truth. Or if you call yourself a Christian today, a pursuer, a follower of Jesus, that you too can have hope. And that maybe you've lost it somewhere along the way. Because I can guarantee you this, that it's not black and white. It's not, I'm a Christian, I have hope. And it's not, well, I don't believe in Jesus. I, I, 
I have hope. I don't have hope. I really do believe that there's a spectrum to it. That there is days as a Christian where you feel hopeless. And there's days when you're still looking for the truth that you feel hopeful. And that is kind of this journey we're on. And I want to kind of like strip the barriers that we put up between this idea of like, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm not a Christian. Or like, we're all seeking truth. The difference really between not being a Christian and being a Christian is saying, I'm following after Jesus. I'm continuing to search for that truth. I'm deepening that faith and a realization that I can't do it on my own, right? A realization that's saying, I realized that I was living apart from Jesus, my creator, the way that I was created. And I realized there's a way to live rightly with God. And that's the division line. But I think there's some people, honestly, that are maybe more hopeful because they see this Jesus and they're chasing after him, but they haven't yet made that step of saying, you know what, God, I want you to be my Lord. Because that's the, the real dividing line. Is saying, Father, I want you to be the Lord of my life. To saying, I'm just pursuing after you. It's an interesting paradigm. It's an interesting place to be. But my prayer is today that you leave this, this sermon understanding that hope isn't on its way. But it's here right now. That there is hope here. And as we engage in the scriptures and we look a little deeper into them, you're going to see this crazy pattern. You're going to see this, this roller coaster ride that people went through in this disruption that happened in their lives when there was a powerful man that they were following, faced a horrible death, but then signed his signature in such a way that stamped the truth of what he was speaking the entire time. I've dealt with hopelessness before. I have. I have walked and I was that cartoon, right? I was that black and white cartoon character where I'm like, like, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Where it's just like, they look drained. It's just like, oh, you're just walking through life, like stunned by the drained faithless, hopeless lives. You know when I feel hopeless sometimes? You guys are going to be like, what are, you, what are you talking about? I feel hopeless sometimes when a game says it's going to release and it doesn't release. Like, like, I've been strung along by so many gaming companies for years. So many of you, I want you right now, put in chat right now, okay? Right, right now, start typing. What game is it that you've been looking forward to for the last however long? All right, I want you to put I want you to put in the game and then type right next to it the amount of time you've waited. It feels hopeless, man. They're stringing us along and they'll bring us from these like these announcements to these big stages like, you know what I mean? And and, and they're, they're doing these like and you're like, "Oh, if this is going to be it, I can I can feel it. you're like licking your lips and it just doesn't come. It never happens." Or like you have all this anticipation. They're like, oh yeah, they, they've leaked some information. Nintendo's making this new XYZ. 
oh no, PlayStation is dropping this like, you know, it, it's secret release. Of... And then it's like, <laughs> in 2030, we're dropping <laughs> Skyrim 5. They're like, what? And all they've done is just, re <laughs> they've just remastered the game. You know, this also, I have the same thing with like betas, right? Like, and I'm not talking about beta males, okay? I'm, not, I'm just talking about betas. Like, like, we'll be in these beta seasons and it feels hopeless. These companies will drag us on. You know, I did some like research on this because I, I felt like I was going crazy. Like, I actually felt like I was going nuts. Because I'm a big fan of survival games and I, I love survival games that are like really in depth and like open world. And th that's what I like to do. And so it was, it was, it wasn't just me. It was just the genre of game I liked. And I'm guessing because these are difficult to make and then they like probably when they're storyboarding and like making their release for their game, they're probably like, yo, this will be, this will be easy. You know, we'll just get this and we'll plug this. And then they realize they hit these like brick walls. And it's not as easy as they thought it was going to be. And so we'll have things like Daisy that was in beta for five years. Five years. Some games literally are launched and dead in five years. Rest in peace, H1Z1. Like there's games that are literally launched and dead in five years. And that game was in beta for five years. And I'm a big Daisy fan. And so, like, it makes sense. It's, like, one of the longest games in beta ever. You want to know what the second one is? It's four years, and it's a game called Rust. So, it, it's not, it, it is just, my, it's my perspective. Like, when is this game going to get out of, of beta? It's, like, the longest Steam game inside of, like, beta, the beta version that they have for Steam. So, these specific games are in beta forever. I feel hopeless sometimes, man. I'm like, when are they going to fix this issue? When are they going to update this game? When are they going to listen to their fan base? It just feels hopeless. Like, like it's not going to come. On a more serious note, I've felt hopeless like IRL, but in my real life, right? Like, it's funny when we talk about games and we'll get all upset. And it's almost like this fake upset, right? Like, we're like, it's annoying, but it's more like a fake upset. Like, we're not really that mad. But there's times in life where things really throw you a curveball. And like, it can seem hopeless. It can seem like there is no way that I'm going to get through this season. There's no way that I can see my life going forward from here. I was 16 years old. And I was getting ready for this big game. There's some pretty important people in the crowd that were scouting and doing things. And I was excited. Uh, when I played sports, I was a different human. I was, I was out of my mind. I was just so excited. And I was serious and I was mean and I was joyful. Like it was a weird combination of the person I became when I got on the field. And I remember this, this game where we were playing football and I, I got on the field and I, the, the quarterback snapped the ball and I was playing defense. I was called a middle linebacker. So I'm about five yards away from the ball carrier. And one of my linemen stepped back 
and I stepped forward and he trapped my foot and the, one of the running backs came through the line and cracked my knee. I tore the ligaments, the meniscus and the tendons in my right knee immediately. I knew from the moment it happened that I was done. I, I mean, I cannot tell you before I probably hit the ground. I was like, Oh no. And that shattered some dreams for me that shattered some places that I had been. See, I was in this, this space where I was kind of angry at God and I didn't really understand about my faith. I, I didn't know how to pursue God in a healthy way where I was. I was already hopeless. I was already walking before I ever got on the field that day. I was already hopeless because my hope was in the wrong things. My hope was in the idea that I could do it myself. My hope was in the idea that, you know, I was going to take myself to places X, Y, Z. And I thought that I had the opportunity to go play college ball. And in that moment, it was snatched away. And then if that didn't work out, I wasn't like a dumb kid. I was like, you know, if that doesn't work out, you know what I'll do? I'll go in the military. Like, I would love to be a soldier. And in a moment, that was snatched away. In the same moment, both of the career paths that I thought I was on, where I, I thought I was supposed to be because I was running from God, were gone in a moment. And I went through this period of time where I was just angrily shaking my fist at God. And I didn't know what to do. And, and I didn't know how to move in life with hope. I felt hopeless. And what that injury did is it didn't make me hopeless. It didn't make me depressed. It didn't, what it did is it revealed to me a heart condition that I was already suffering from. And it had been that I was already hopeless and I had almost deceived myself in thinking that these were going to be fulfilling enough, that this, this time was going to be fulfilling enough, that it was going to take away my problems. But it wasn't going to. There was literally no way. What would have happened is even if I made it in those careers, at the end of the day, I would have been feeling still hopeless. Because it wasn't the careers, it wasn't the job choice, it wasn't the, the way that I thought my life would go that made me hopeful. Hope is a strong word. Hope can move nations. Hope can accomplish dreams and grandeur. Hope can be one of the most powerful tools that a politician can wield. Hope is a mover. It creates motion. And I want to talk about the hope that we have because of everything Jesus went through and the stamp of approval he put on. Now, before we jump into Luke uh, 24, 1 through 47, I read from the CSB. If you want to join me, you're more than welcome. Pull it up on another screen, you know, pull it up on your phone, whatever you want to do. It'll also be on the screen for you. If you don't know how to navigate the Bible, trust me, I still don't know how to navigate the Bible. I've been doing this for a long time. And so we appreciate you, uh, you know, 
being willing to, to, to even try. And so, but it's pretty easy on the internet because you can just type in the verses. So Luke 24, 1 through 47, we'll be going through a few verses at a time here uh, and then kind of tearing them down, ripping them apart, trying to understand what God was speaking in them. So first, before we jump into Luke, though, I want to talk about kind of where we, how we got to this, these verses, right? So if you look a couple verses before in the, in the last couple chapters, Jesus has kind of went through this whole thing. He went through this ministry and then he got to a place where he was betrayed by Judas, one of his friends, someone he trusted, someone he loved and sold out for 30 pieces of silver and then arrested, tried a bunch of different times because every single time they tried him, they couldn't win. So they just kept doing it until eventually someone gave way. It's really until they cried like a bunch of babies over and over and over again to have a man murdered that was innocent. And then eventually that worked. And so what they did is they led Jesus to the cross. And that was a series of him being scourged, which is a terrible, 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 terrible torture uh, of being whipped with... Uh, Kind of like this, I don't know how to describe it well because it is what it is, but it's like a whip with nine different tails on it that had at the ends of it shards of bone or shards of metal so that it wasn't just like a whip and then you just, it was a whip that would tear skin off of his back. And then they did a bunch of other things that would come along with that and they put a robe on him and then they mocked him and they put a crown of thorns and then they took him to the cross and they literally nailed his body to the cross. And he had just went through all of this and really what Rome and what the religious teachers thought that they were doing when they crucified Jesus was they thought that they were nailing the hope that these followers of Jesus had had, that this revival that was happening within Jerusalem, they thought they were putting an end to it by nailing him to the cross. They thought that they were making an example out of this teacher. That with this one act that they could strip away the hope and regain the power that they decided that they wanted to have. Regain the control that they wanted. And that's what leads us to this scripture verse. Literally right before this, they take Jesus's body down from the cross. One of the rich Sadducees who didn't agree with what the religious people were doing. They wrapped him in linen and they laid him in a tomb. Now, a little bit of understanding of what a tomb would have looked like in ancient Jerusalem or ancient um, Israel, just so you have an understanding. Because this man was rich that buried Jesus, and because of the way that they talk about a stone being rolled away, it was meaning that this tomb was carved into the side of like a stone face. And then there was almost like little coves inside of it where you would have laid a body down. And it would have been a tomb for those to lay to rest until basically the bodies eventually broke down and became bones. And then they'd be put in these things called cisterns. Um, there's actually another word for it in, in uh, Hebrew, but I think it's like Omasa or something. And so they would keep those bones there. Sorry, I'm nerding out. All right. So they keep those bones in there so they'd have a place to rest. That was the idea behind um, the burying inside of Israel. And so that's where we are right now. And then we intro into here. So Luke 24, 1 through 47. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. 
they went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. In verse 6, he is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee? Saying, it is necessary that the Son of Man be, be betrayed into the hands of sinful men. Be crucified and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. This is an interesting situation, okay? They come because they basically had prepared spices for the body that was laying rest. They thought that they were preparing Jesus' body so he could continue, you know, his body continued breaking down and he would basically be uh, anointed and it would, it's kind of like a beautiful way to send someone off. And that they were doing that because they, you know, for them that they thought he was gone and then that, that, that the, the story was over, that chapter of their lives was done. And so they go to prepare this body and then sitting there, it's funny how the, the Bible says this, and it's said in a couple different ways in different verses or in different versions of the Bible or in, in different translations of the Bible. I shouldn't say versions, so same versions, different different words. But anyway, different ways that they translate this, these words. But in this version specifically, it says, uh, it stood by them in dazzling clothes. And so really the best way to think of this is like, they were in such a way that there was an aura coming from these men that did not seem normal. And that's probably because they were angels. But they were stood in there in dazzling clothes, which means they would have been captivating to these women, would have been, whoa. And you can see this because, so the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. This wasn't just some nicely dressed gentleman, right? There was two dudes here that you could tell were not of this world, but they were in the form of men. But there was a presence that they brought with them that was very, very tangible. And the woman understood this and bowed down to the ground. And the men speak something. Why are you here looking for the dead? Like, did you not hear what Jesus had already told you before he died? He already told you that this would happen. In the greatest words I believe that an angel ever spoke to a human were these words. He is not here. He is not here. Because with those words, what they solidified, what they showed was that no matter if you look all over Jerusalem and you check every single tomb, if you look everywhere for his body and his bones, they will not be here. You can search thousands of graves, but one will never find the tomb of Jesus because he is not here. This is a statement that's so important because it's the first time that it's stamped that maybe Jesus did what he said he was going to do in terms of resurrection, in terms of rising from the dead. 
what they found that day in the tomb wasn't a body, but a spark of hope. They found a spark of hope. You have to understand that they didn't think that Jesus was going to rise from the grave. Otherwise, they wouldn't have prepared these spices. They wouldn't have prepared these scents and these oils and this anointing for a body that was not going to be there. There would have been no point. Instead, they got together and they were going to bring and prepare his body for death. But he wasn't there. He is not there. This is disputed sometimes. But like in their preparation of the spices, it speaks to the idea that they didn't think he was going to rise again. That they too had lost hope. See, you don't put a raincoat on if it's not going to rain outside. You don't load up Epic Games if you're not planning to play Fortnite. I don't even know. Maybe there's some other games out there going to play, but you don't do those things, right? You don't you don't sit down on your couch and put a controller in your hand if you're not going to turn on the gaming system. Like you don't take out the pots and pans and put the oil in it if you don't prepare to sauté something. It just doesn't make sense. The preparation that they made spoke to the fact that they did not believe that Jesus was going to rise again. Their hope was as dead as the, as, as the body they prepared to send off into eternity. But when they came and they saw that the body was gone and that there was two heavenly hosts, two heavenly angels declaring his words in repeat to them, their hope was refocused. Their hope all of a sudden was reignited. So the first thing I want to drill down today is, are you in need of your hope to be reignited? Does your hope need to catch a new fire? Where is your hope on, on that spectrum? Are you like daylight when I was on that field and thought I lost everything and didn't realize I was walking around hopeless? Are you like those gaming studios that will never release that game? <laughs> hopeless. Today, I pray that your hope is reignited, that there is a new hope in you. And just like the women that came to see Jesus's body were reignited, you too would have a reignition after hearing the story of his resurrection. You know, I was joking around in prayer today of this idea that I feel like every year, Easter feels, and, and Christmas too, they feel like this like Groundhog Day for, for pastors and probably for Christians too, where it's just like, it feels like it's the same thing every time. It's like reliving the same day and they all become kind of this blur. 
But one of the most profound things about that is it's during these moments that we have a readjustment, right? Where our hope can be reignited. Because Jesus is not there. That he's not here. He wasn't in the tomb. Which means something else was at work. In verse 9, it says, Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven. I wish I was known as a part of the eleven. I'm just, it just sounds dope. 11's the best number. And to all the rest, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women were them uh with them were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them. And they did not believe the women. In verse 12, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. He stooped to look in. He saw only the linen clothes. So he went away amazed at what had happened. Women bust in. The 11 are sitting there. They go, yo, tomb's empty. Angels, craziness, stone rolled away. What? And the 11 were like, huh? They were like, nah. Literally says it seemed like nonsense to them, which means they thought the women went mad. Come on, somebody's a bunch of name men. They put a name in. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Love all my sisters in chat. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. My wife's listening to this right now. She can come beat me. All right. Anyway, but they literally thought that these women had went crazy. But there's two people, all right? This, in, in Luke, it says, it, it says Peter stood up. And this is important because they're emphasizing Peter for a reason here. Because Luke also emphasizes the denial and so on and so forth. So, if Peter stood up, okay? In Luke, it says Peter stood up. In the other gospels, it says Peter and John. This is important. They went up. And they ran to the tomb. The other ones thought it was crazy. They were like, that's not possible. You didn't see angels, you know, weirdo. That doesn't make sense. Skeptical, right? And I would expect the exact same behavior from Peter. If we follow suit with what he did with the other three people, right? Or with the, when he denied Jesus, at the time of the cross, we would expect him to follow the same pattern, but he doesn't. And it's interesting because Peter, as much as he's kicked around in terms of like when people are preaching, they talk about Peter, like he's, he's like this dude that has no faith and he's like, he denies Jesus. And like, he does those things. But Peter seems to always be the first to the scene. Because in that moment when his hope is reignited, He's skeptical. He doesn't quite believe. There's something in him holding him back. And even when he runs to the tomb, it does not say that he believed. It instead says that he went away amazed at what happened. In other translations, it says he marveled at what happened. So he was shook by it, 
but it didn't say he believed. And there is a contrast because in one of the other gospels, it says John saw that the, the clothes were lying there, the linen were lying there, and he believed. Peter just marveled. But I want to lay this out. I'm more of a Peter than I am a John, okay? I'm going to be honest with you guys. You guys know the trick where you hold the blanket up, okay? And then, like, if you're standing next to a doorway, you just drop it, but then you run behind the doorway. Like, you can really get kids with this. Like, like you can, you can, dogs, dogs go crazy. They're like, that man just disappeared. That He gone. What happened? That's how I feel like John is, okay? He's the dog or the, okay, I'm not referring to John. You know, when, I'm, when we meet in heaven one day, don't hold that against me. I just mean, I just mean you're, you're easily, you're easily captivated, my guy. Okay. Like you're like that little kid. Like John's like that little brother, or little sister that'll believe anything. He's just like, so for it, man. He's such full of faith, man. He's just like, he has that childlike faith. And that's why Jesus loved him so much. Right? Like John is like, it, it, it is, is the baby of the apostles. Like he's loved by God and he loves God so much. But to be honest, I can't, I can't really find myself in John's shoes. I would have saw the linen sitting there and I've been like, yo, that's crazy. What really happened? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I've been like, someone pulled a good one. I'm going to be fair. I'm going to be honest. I'm skeptical. But Peter as he has always done, he did the same thing. See, Peter, what he doesn't get enough credit for is he has always been a man of action. Think about it. Think about Peter's life. Think about when Jesus talks to him throughout his time on earth. If you look back at the Gospels and read about it, When Jesus called the apostles from the boat on the stormy seas, what'd Peter do? Even though he did not yet believe fully, he didn't truthfully, tr truly understand it because you can tell that by this denial three times. He got onto the water. He stepped out of the boat and walked on water. And he faltered. Jesus had to rescue him. But he's always been a man of action a pursuer of truth. And in that moment, he did not wait. He did not look at the women like they were crazy. They didn't know what they were talking about. He got up and he ran to the tomb. Because even in his skeptic nature, even in his disbelief, even in his hopelessness, this is a man who just came off of that denied Jesus three times at the cross, like one of the biggest things, like been walking with the man for like three years, like, He's downtrodden, but there's a hope here reignited in him. Hope is living in him. And he pursues and chases after the truth. He runs to the tomb. You can see this after with Peter being a man of action too, later on when he preaches the first sermon in Acts. He hears something. He feels something. He knows something. He moves. 
I pray that I'm like Peter sometimes. That even in my skeptical mind, even when I can't believe it, that I'm willing to chase after the truth. And I pray that for each and every one of you, that you can be pursuers of truth. In verse 13, it says, Now the same two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together, they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk among with them. Okay, okay. But they were prevented from recognizing him. So he just looks like a stranger. Then he asked them, what is the dispute that you're having with each other as you are walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? Jesus says, what things? Which is ironic. <laughs> what do you mean? What are you talking about? I don't know. What? <laughs> He's testing to see what they know. He asked them. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they didn't see him. Has your hope died? During difficult seasons, do you allow your hope to be turned into hopelessness? These men that were walking along the road from Emmaus, Jesus recognized that they were discouraged. He recognized that they were talking about him in the past tense. They were talking in such a way where they literally said, but we were hoping that he was the one that was about to redeem Israel. And more so, and moreover, you can see as you go through the text, after that, they said, but we were hoping. They talk about how they even saw the empty tomb. And it didn't change the fact that they were hoping. That they had lost that hope. But we were hoping that he was the one to redeem Israel. And then they saw that he rose, or he, he was no longer in the grave, and that didn't change. I'm sure in this conversation, Jesus must have been chuckling to himself of like, man, children. Like, you just found the empty tomb. You've heard me say that I was going to come back from the grave. 
and you still don't get it. So he said it like this. In verse 25, he said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all of the scriptures. I love this. Because Jesus just pulls out the G card, dude. He hits him. He hits him with the G card. He's like, you had it all wrong. You were looking for a Messiah, someone to come that would take you and conquer and be this king, you know, slaying warrior. And guess what? You got me. And he's like, and I've never been hidden from you. I have never promised the things you thought that I was going to do. You thought that I was going to deliver Israel in a combative, warrior, pol political-led movement. But I never said those things. He said, look back at the journey of the Old Testament. Look back at the last 4,000 years of history recorded in the Old Testament, the Torah, the things that you have available to you. You understand. Let me show you who I said I was going to be. And he does. And he takes them on a journey. And it says he expounds. He interprets for them the things concerning him that have always been written about him. So he says, look at Isaiah 7, 14. I was born of a virgin. That's me. He said, look in Genesis 12, 3. I'm a descendant of Abraham. Like it says in Micah 5, 2, I'm born in Bethlehem. I'm a descendant of Jesse. I'm the descendant of David. I was betrayed by a friend. I was sold for 30 pieces of silver. I was crucified with the criminals. Like Isaiah 53, 12 would say, like I was when I was nailed to the cross. He said, I was pierced through the hands and feet like in Psalm 22. I was buried in a rich man's tomb. Like Isaiah 53 says, I was resurrected on the third day. Like Psalm 16 says, I ascended into heaven. Like Psalm 68, uh, the spirit of the Lord was upon him. Like in Isaiah 11, he will heal the sick and perform miracles. Like in Isaiah 53, he will preach the good news to the poor. Like in Isaiah 61, he will be despised and rejected by the by men he will be a light to the gentiles he will be a king and reign forever like in daniel he will establish a new covenant covenant like in jeremiah he will be called emmanuel god with us in isaiah 7 he will be a servant who suffers from the sins of others like in isaiah 53 he will be the cornerstone of the god's kingdom like in psalm 118 he will be a prophet like moses in deuteronomy he will be called out of egypt like hosea says in 11 1 he will be a righteous judge like said in Isaiah 51, he will be a shepherd who cares for his flock. Like Ezekiel 34, he will ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. He will be betrayed by a close friend. He will be silent before his accusers, like said in Isaiah, and he will be crucified as a criminal. Jesus. Jesus. He was always who he said he'll be. And he goes on to say, he will be mocked and spat upon, which he was. He will be given vinegar to drink. He will be crucified with his hands and feet pierced in Zechariah. He will be buried with the rich in Isaiah. And last and most importantly, he will be resurrected 
like it says in Psalm 16.10. Before this time, they couldn't understand the meaning of those scriptures to the fullness of what they meant. They didn't get it. Imagine you understanding something so intimately. You understanding something like these men, these Jewish men understood about the scriptures. Without understanding that these men would have memorized the Old Testament, that it would have been something that they could easily, easily recite. And then all of a sudden, everything that you know finally becomes clear in a moment. Because the things you didn't quite understand come into focus and become clear. And they have a clear depiction that Jesus was this person that was seen and spoken about and written about all throughout the Old Testament. So I pray, secondly, that your hope is reinforced by the truth today. So I pray that your hope is reignited. And then I pray your hope is reinforced. The more time you spend in prayer and seeking Jesus, I truly believe that the Holy Spirit reveals to us the truth of the gospel, the truth of what happened that day at the resurrection and at the crucifixion before it and at the birth of Jesus. I pray that there would be a hope, your hope would be reinforced, that there would be a strengthening to it. In verse 28, it says, they came near the village where they were going and he gave the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening. And now the day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scripture to us? The very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, they found the eleven and those with them gathered together who said, the Lord has truly raised and has appeared to Simon. They then began to describe what had happened on the road and how he had made, made known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were saying these things, he himself stood in their midst. He said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Why are you troubled? He asked. And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they were amazed and in disbelief, because of their joy, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish 
and he took it and ate it in their presence. He told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He also said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnessing these things, and look, I am sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are, power, you are empowered from them on high. This is a whirlwind. For these 11 apostles. Really for quite a bit. Quite a few different disciples. Quite a, quite a different. The men from Emmaus. The, the women that were at the tomb. This is crazy. I can only imagine the emotions. That came to them. When they felt hopeless. After losing Jesus. These 11 are people that intimately knew him. They had done ministry with him. They had been a part of his teachings. They had spent days and meals and nights together. They knew each other through and through like brothers. And they had watched him be crucified. And all of that emotion to be stripped down and then to watch him fulfill everything that he said he was going to do. The, the, the words probably slipped their mind even through their grief. To watch him be there in their presence again, completing the full promise. Saying, look at me, I'm, I'm here, you can, you can see me. I'm eating among you right now. In that moment, it's the same prayer I have for you today. Their hope was resurrected. Their hope is here. In this moment, God fulfilled everything he said he was going to do. And he proved his deity by resurrecting from the grave. I pray that your hope would be resurrected. That that lost hope could be resurrected. That the dreams and the hopes that you had in the truth that you're pursuing I pray that that hope would be resurrected today and that you too could have hope again. Desmond Tutu says it like this, hope is being able to see that there is light despite all of the darkness. Marcus Aurelius said, in the morning when you rise unwillingly, let this thought be present. 
I am rising to the work I was created to do. Why then am I dissatisfied if I'm going to do the things for which I exist and for which I was brought into this world? If you feel hopeless today, if you feel like you've never been able to fully understand where your place in this world is, if you're wrestling with your faith, there's something in you purpose that God has given you that he wants to resurrect there's a reason why you feel lost there's a reason why you feel alone there's a reason why you feel hopeless and that hope can be found in Jesus that hope can be found in his loving arms that hope can be found in the truth that the Bible proclaims because he showed that his claims were real through his death and his resurrection. Jesus did all of this for you, for each and every one of you. Yes, I am talking to you, specifically you. He did it for you so that you could have a new life, a life more abundant. He went through a horrible death, proved himself through his resurrection so that you could be made right with God, so that you could pursue after him, so that you could have a relationship with him, so that you could spend eternity with him. Because for a long, long time, humanity turned their back on God. People still do. But God made it right through Jesus. He said, there is a path. There is a way. You just have to realize that I am the king that I say I am. That I am the creator that I say I am. That I am the Lord of the heavens and the earth. The greatest thing about the journey of following Jesus is that we still have our remaining hope that just as Jesus rose from the grave, he'll also return to earth. No matter the pain, no matter the cost, no matter the suffering, Jesus is alive and there is hope for those who follow after him. There's hope for you that are pursuing truth. My hope is that you find it today. That you give God a chance that you'd give him an opportunity to be the resurrecting hope he shows that he is. And I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to end today's message a little different than normal. I want you to take time and think about that spectrum. Where is your hope? Where are you in this pursuit of Jesus? Where is it at on this timeline? And I want you to take time to contemplate that as we go. And in a second, I'm going to introduce our choir. 
I want this to be a time of reflection. To be able to think on where is it that you are in your faith journey. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to allow Jesus to be the resurrection in your life. I want to challenge you to allow him to resurrect your heart. Because he wants to do so today. I have one more thing to say to you before we go into our time with the choir, which is beautiful. I'm so thankful that these individuals have given up their time and their talent to glorify God. During this time, as we appreciate the music together, but as we sing along, as we engage with God, don't forget to reflect. If no one's told you they love you today, I love you with my whole heart. And I'll see you soon. Love you guys. Precious blood has left me forgiven. Pure like the whitest of snow. Thank you so much for those people 
that um, put out their talents. That was absolutely beautiful as we were just kind of reflecting on the words there. Um, I know that I was blessed by it. I hope that you were too. I know that a lot of work has been put into the choir. Being able to do it online is something that's absolutely amazing, sounded beautiful. And so I just want to thank those people for uh, being able to bless us with your gifts that you're pouring out onto us. And thank you, thank you, thank you. I hope that you guys were blessed by the message today too. That hope is here, that through Jesus Christ, we have hope in our lives that we can be restored, that our hearts can be restored because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And today we're celebrating his resurrection from the dead. And hey, listen, as you guys were listening to Pastor Daylight earlier and he and he was he was preaching about that hope. I know that I've felt that way before. You know, when you're walking through Walmart, you're walking through the grocery store where you kind of just feel like life is just it's it's just the heaviness of the world laying on your shoulders but we have hope through jesus christ and we can choose that hope that hope is here because jesus as 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 they said the men in dazzling clothes he is not here why why are you searching here when he is not here hope is here because of what Jesus did for us, paying our debt and the fact that he rose from the dead. So we praise God today for that. And hey, if you made a decision today to accept Jesus Christ into your heart, that you are search, you've been searching for this hope for a good portion of your life, we want to congratulate you on accepting Jesus Christ into your heart, that you have latched on to the one thing that can give you hope in this life. We want to be able to celebrate with you because that is the best and biggest decision that you can ever make in your entire life. We want to be able to walk with you on this journey as well. You might have a lot of questions. You might be thinking, I don't know where to go from here. I, I don't know what to do. What we can help me. <laughs> we want to be able to help you and walk on that journey with you. And so if you did make that decision today to accept Jesus Christ into your heart, what I would ask you to do is type exclamation point connect in the chat. It's already in there. Click on that link and fill it out. We would love to be able to walk on this journey with you and answer any questions that you have. Where do, where do I start reading in the Bible? It's it's a really big book. Where, where do I start off in here? What is this water baptism thing you guys talk about? What is prayer and how do I pray exactly? Hey, we want to be able to answer those questions and any other questions that you have because it is a journey and we're all walking on it together. We want to welcome you in on this journey because it is an amazing one. It is a fulfilling one and it's difficult sometimes, but we do it together. We do it together in community. So once again, congratulations to those of you who have accepted Jesus Christ. And I know, hey, listen, if you did accept him, put it, put it, I accepted in chat. If you accepted Jesus Christ today, I would love to be able to see it. I would love to be able to celebrate with you guys today because that is absolutely, absolutely amazing. And right now, guys, we're gonna we're gonna go into a time of uh, of giving and offering. Something that we believe here at God Squad Church is, as we give of our finances, yes, of our treasures and what and and what we have here on earth. Well, the thing is, is God has given us everything that we do have, and He asks us to steward it well because it's actually not ours. It's something that He has given to us, and He says, "Hey, I want you to take care of what I've given you well." And so something that he does ask us to do is to sacrifice and to give and to give generously to him. 
And so something here at God Squad Church that we believe is that giving, it's a form of worship. It's something that we can do. A lot of people, they say, well, I don't know what my talents are. I don't know how to give. I don't, I don't know what, how to worship. This is actually a form of worship to God. It's a form of our faith, though, as well, saying, hey, God, I know that this is what my bills like look, look like. I know this is what my budget looks like, but I'm going to give to you what you have told me to give. In faith that you are going to continue to provide for me just like your word says. And I can tell you, finances, it's not easy. They're difficult. Me and my wife, you know, we we go through this as well where we talk about it. We say, hey, what is it, what is it, God, that you want us to give? And then he gives us a number and we're like, whoa. <laughs> I wasn't too sure if that was something that, uh, you know, is a real number because it doesn't make sense. But let me tell you, it's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice sometimes, and sometimes sacrifice hurts, but God has always through providing for us. And so I want to encourage you and challenge you today. If God is asking you to give, that you would do so, so we can continue as a church to move forth going through the world, giving the gospel of Jesus Christ to people all around the world. And I want to thank you for your faithfulness and for your generosity. And real quick, I just want to say a prayer over the, over the offering today. God, I, I praise you. I praise you for what you have given to us. And as we give back to you, I pray, Father, that you would multiply it, that you would use it well, so that your, the name of your son, Jesus Christ, can be spread throughout the entire world. We thank you, God, for what you've given to us and continue to bless those that are giving, Father. And we thank you for their faithfulness and generosity and help us to continue having faith in you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen.